space is the final frontier. But why some say the moon? Why choose this as our goal? Exploring topics like the privatization of space, exploration and technology. And they may well ask, why climb the highest mountain? We choose to go to the moon. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things. Not because they are easy, but because they are hard. In the search for new planets and habitable worlds. Because that goal will serve to organize and measure the best of our energies and skills. Because that challenge is one that we're willing to accept. One we are unwilling to postpone and one we intend to win. This is the Explorers Podcast, brought to you by X-Labs. Greetings, everyone. Uh, thanks for joining us for another episode of the Explorers Podcast. Today's episode, we're going to be talking about uh, examples of industry outsiders contributing to space exploration and the advancement of space technology. Uh, and we thought there was no better way to do that than to um, bring a guest on who fits the bill uh, perfectly uh, in terms of what we're talking about. So um, today we have with us Jason Achilles um, of Zandif Dexit. Is that correct? That was actually Jason? surprisingly accurate. Yeah. Well done. Perfect. Yeah. And and if, if you have more, uh, you know, want to look more into what Jason's doing after the fact, you can find uh, information at jasonachilles.com. We'll also put the link in the description uh, of the episode as well. Um, so Jason, welcome. Thanks for joining us. I'm just curious. Why don't we just jump into it? Uh, and um, why don't you tell us a little bit about your background and, and kind of lead us along the, the journey that you've taken to kind of get into the space industry? Yeah, I guess I'll let's see. I'll try and give you the short shirt, the spaceball short shirt version. Um, I uh, well, and first of all, it's good to meet all you guys. Like one on one. I oh, sorry, hit the mic. Um, good to have you. Thanks for thank you for having me. Um, yeah, so I've I've been a lifelong musician. That's what I um, studied since I don't know. I was eight or eight eight years old. That's what I studied in college, um, and. Uh, that's been my professional pursuit and continues to be. Um, and then, uh, let's see, it was, uh, 2017 is officially when I started working as I, I was able to wrangle the gig as an independent consultant with, uh, NASA's jet propulsion laboratory, um, to help them work on a microphone, help inform the design, the selection and or design of a microphone that would fly to Mars as one of the two microphones on the Perseverance rover, um, which actually, we can do a little and show how, and tell. This Jay, is, Jason, how did you that wrangle mic? that? <laughs> um, uh, nice. Yeah, well, okay. So, well, the short uh, version is... Uh, yeah, how did, how did you of, wrangle that job? Did you seek it or did they seek it? I did, yeah, yeah, yeah. That come up? Nobody was asking me for this. No, it was, um, I don't know. It was just something I, I just started getting an itch those few years prior to that, that I really wanted to be like, I don't know, space always seemed like this impossible thing, you know, and all I'm not an engineer, I don't have the background, but I always had the interest, you know, and I'd been reading up a lot and uh, I started making friends at JPL because it's about half an hour from, you know, where I live. Um, and I don't know, you start digging into something, it starts seeming a little less impossible, but then you're like, okay, I kind of like, I get this, but how do I get in the door, you know? Um, and I felt like, okay, I have a pretty good understanding of how things operate on the mechanical side. And, and, uh, I, I was pitching all kinds of crazy ideas to anybody that would listen and most people wouldn't, but every once in a while, um, like, uh, one, one of the few that responded was, uh, Alan Stern, um, about the, uh, the Pluto, you know, mission that they, that he chaired and I don't know, I, I would send over, you know, we <laughs> was just I, I, somehow I found his email somewhere. I'm like, hey, have you guys thought about this? And he's like, well, actually, yes, we have. But 
we appreciate your uh, enthusiasm. You know, he was actually really nice. So that was kind of like, oh, okay. Every what were once your, in a while you, what, what's that? What, what would you say your, your, your top two crazy ideas that you pitched were during that time? Oh man. Uh, I, gosh, I don't even know. I'd have to go back and look cause I've been so focused on the crazy ideas that we're working on now. <laughs> um, I, I don't know. That's a good question. I think with new, you know, it was new horizons, right? That was the name of the Pluto mission. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was suggesting for a, like, oh, well, for a follow-up, since you found such varied structure throughout, maybe you could send, like, multiple smaller probes instead of landing one big one, you know, in the event you're able to actually send probes there. And there, you, you basically just like, that's cool. We're really not there yet, man. <laughs> but thanks. That's cool. That's you a know. more difficult yeah, proposition. Like that, no. um, but because, uh, mm-hmm. you know, nobody's thought of that before, right? Um, I would get a lot of ideas <laughs> reading uh, New Scientist magazine um, on my toilet. That's kind of where most of my inspiration for, and you'd look up the name of the scientists they're interviewing, you know, wherever it was, and then hunt around online and find their email and some PDF that they submitted five years ago. And maybe it's still valid. And that's how, that's how science stalking works, you know, basically. I wonder if that's a common thread. Um, people that work in the space industry is that they sort of get into the, the field because they're passionate about it um, at some point in their lives. I, you know, I don't know. I, I mean, I, I developed my stalking skills from the music industry where nobody shares any information publicly. Like, at least NASA has a public database. Mm-hmm. It's nice. now much harder to find than it was when I did this originally. But anybody can actually, there's a number you can call at NASA and get anybody's email or phone, I think. Definitely their email. But but they've hidden that number now, which I have saved it. So, that, <laughs> so um, <laughs> the stalking skill, yeah, I think, you know, it's, People have asked, like, well, what, you know, what enabled you to do this stuff? And I think in a weird way, my, my personal strength, and this kind of was with music too, especially when I was producing other artists, is sort of, I guess I have good sort of people skills, <laughs> um, you know, in terms of like, who's that, you know, having no access to somebody, and then you just sort of start finding weird corridors to go down to try and reach that person. And then maybe hit a dead end with that person, so then you move on to the next one. I mean, I, I don't recommend this as a path anybody else take because it's pretty frustrating. A very select set of skills that helped me get there. You're, um, you're not you're not yeah. encouraging stalking, is what you're saying. I, well, I think we we in the in the in the new terms we like to refer to it as networking. Yeah. Right. Well, okay. So here's a good example. You guys all met me because I led a panel discussion at the space tech expo. Right. So they didn't ask me to do that. I, I, Mm -hmm. I pitched that to them for like six or eight months and finally got a reasonably good relationship going with them. And the whole reason was because I was trying to gain visibility for my work. And, and also, you know, I did feel like I had a valuable story to tell because in that case, you know, they, I don't know. The, the reason I did that, and I, I, maybe it pertains a lot to our the point of our discussion was, you know, people that want to get into space, like I remembered very recently, not knowing anybody, not having a window in. And then you'd see occasionally these panel discussions where people talk about that. But it's it's people that are so well established. They have no relation back to how they actually got back in. They're already on their second, you know, multi-million or billion dollar company. And they're like, Trying to like, oh yes, the, the way the path forward for newcomers, like you, you forgot about that a decade ago. What are you talking about? You know, so that's why I led that panel discussion. Yeah, was, and that's hey, I wanted to sort of reach to the point of this whole talk, but also I was trying to give myself more. And like, this is a perfect example of something good that came from that. So there you go. From what you're saying is that it is about perseverance. It's about believing in something that you have. And knowing that it might be of value to others, and then follow through with it. And when you and you know come to a closed door, you try something different in order to get it through. So I I see a story of perseverance, which is a learning lesson for everybody. I see actually a lot of parallels in how you got involved in the industry, Jason, to kind of how this group has been involved in the industry. You know, maybe not necessarily with the same steps being taken, but. Um, 
this all kind of started X labs outside of Miguel kind of started with, um, a, with, you know, individual passions for exploration and for, uh, thought provoking, um, exercises within the, the space industry and, and the conceptual space economy that, that is going to inevitably rise up eventually. Um, and I just, you know, I think that as we're talking about this topic, you know, normal people getting involved in, in, in the industry, that's, you know, that's the, the best advice in my mind I can imagine giving someone is, you know, if you're passionate about it, you need to have these conversations and, and you need to seek out people with the experience and expertise that you don't have and have these conversations with those people. Um, once you start doing that and networking and, and building those lines of communication, then, you know, and inevitably you're going to run into someone who aligns with what you're passionate about, um, or the idea, one of the ideas that you have and, um, you know, you can hit the ground running with yeah. the right group. Outside of Miguel from the X lab side on this call, um, this is, this is our first venture into the space economy and, and the industry. So Miguel's been in, you know, in this, you know, his, his lifetime, um, a pr professional career. Um, but you know, Frere, myself, Max, we've entered into this through the passion and interest of space technology, you know, the, the future possibilities of what's to come. Um, that's driven us to, uh, you know, bring all this together. So, yeah. And so, I mean, I think that serves to highlight the importance of, of inspiration, right? I, I'm a kid of the nineties and back then, you know, there was a lot of space shuttle activity going on and, and, um, that partially is what inspired me to get into the space industry. It sounds like Jason, you also, you know, were pursuing it for the passion of it. And, and I think that's part of the reason why we've identified, um, trying to share inspirational things, um, um, with, uh, you know, with society and, and, um, and, and the media. Um, and so, you know, I think it's, it's really important. And part of the reason is because when you think about startup um, industry or st startup culture, space industry and space exploration is not a place that you go because, because it's good money, you know? So there needs to be another sort of driving force that pushes people to do uh, difficult things and to try to overcome challenges and find solutions. And so, you know, inspiration is, is such a key motivator for the things that happen in the space industry. I think maybe this is, I think maybe to Max's point earlier, but, um, you know, it, I, I feel like, you know, sort of looking back on the, the strange path that led me here, you know, the conversations I had with in, in coffee shops and bars and, and um, sort of just putting yourself out there and like, you might even not know what your talents are, but maybe, or, or what you're good at, you know, or you might have an idea and you don't know if there's value or not. And you start sort of throwing it at people and seeing if it sticks or not. But, you know, maybe you're somebody who's doesn't have great people skills and you're kind of shy, but you can still, you can, you know, you can still have relationships with their, you know, maybe you meet somebody online who you're chatting with and, and you find a shared interest and that's an idea you start developing, you know, there's a, a lot of great engineers with terrible social skills. Yeah, there, definitely. So. Um, uh, or well, I think that's one know, of the things I, that we're known for. So, <laughs> well, and I was going to say, or, you know, and to the point of this whole conversation, there's a lot of fields of study that people think have nothing to do with space. I mean, certainly music was one of them. Mm -hmm. There's a very limited amount of, places in the universe where audio is even a capability. And that's not the soul that that's what got me in the door. And that's and now I'm doing some other fun stuff with cameras and things, but um, you know, I managed to find a weird window where that works. I mean, if you're a geologist, there's, you know, exobiology is starting to become a huge, huge thing now, you know, um, if, you know, if you're into chemistry, if you're into life sciences, if you're, if you're just into, health and you, you, you know, I mean, there's, there's crazy research being done now on whether we can teach, have humans like hibernate for small, you know, short weeks at a time to send them to Mars, you know, and that on yeah, the surface definitely. may have nothing to do with space, yeah. you know, but like, that's going to be essential very soon. 
and and NASA's yeah. starting to pay people for it too. So I, I think this is already here. The the notion that there is a space economy, a space industry, is even a terminology that is not commonly used by the public, because the history of space exploration has sort of you know, if we think way back to so, sort of not to turn this into a history lesson, but between the Gemini and Apollo program into the space shuttles, we're looking at test pilots in the military. So the pathway into space was through this very narrow window of expertise and talent. But at, at this juncture in time today, we're looking at anybody in any industry has something to offer. So the, so the mentality of a startup where you have an idea and you pitch it, and you may be the nerd that doesn't want to talk to people, you associate with people that can talk on your behalf, and then you can get in. But between, you know, you, you anything applies to the aerospace industry and space economy, food, clothing, uh, you know, sanitation. I mean, uh, bio industries, obviously, and, 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 and jet propulsion and so forth. This is all applicable to the space economy. So I think that it is time and I think that it's part of the people involved to sort of introduce the concept that we are entering an era where the space economy involves everybody. It is an integrated part of Earth economy, right? And 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 I think that opens up minds to think about you can you can explore any idea for the application in space. You have a comment on the food, like from food to sustainable food to medical devices, wearable tech that all has a place for um, future space exploration. And, you know, we're talking about SpaceX colonizing Mars and sending uh, humans there. There's a lot of just groundwork from building material to wearable tech to how we produce food to how we store things. There's so much that is going to go into that. And there's a place for new in, ingenuity and interventions across that whole spectrum. I think there's maybe two important steps to, to this. There's one is like, well, three steps. One, okay. For some reason you've decided you really like space. Space is cool. And heck yeah, go space. What can I do? And then you, Step two is like, all right, well, what am I good at, you know, and what do I like to do? And which, okay, let's say you're, you know, uh, food, maybe you, you just love cooking, you love being, and so then step three is, okay, well, how do I, <laughs> how do I get into space? Okay, so that's a perfect example. I remember looking at a, um, so NASA publishes for folks that are, don't know, you know, watching this, um, NASA publishes solicitations all the time for proposals, for things that they are looking for. And I saw a solicitation come out maybe six months, uh, yeah, the last year, specifically for culinary research for space-bound food, for things that can taste better and make our astronauts happier because they're going to have to travel a lot farther and longer in the future than they have before. And it's a, you know, food in addition to being, you know, not, you know, keeping you alive. It's also, for some people, that's a, a pretty important point of, of, uh, mental health, you know, um, not eating crap for a year. Um, you know, even if you are on Mars. Yeah. The astronauts so, get their special, uh, Thanksgiving uh, meal too, up at the international space station. Yeah. And then God knows how much, you know, vodka, the Russians have been taken up there for decades, you know? Um, but the, so the point is like, you need a, you need a realist, you need to find a, an actual, there has to be money somewhere. Um, and uh, you don't need to necessarily think about it that way. When, like when I pitched myself for the microphone thing, I asked a friend of mine at, at JPL, I'm like, should I mention anything about money when I sort of start emailing? He said, no, just tell him you want to be involved. Nobody's going to let you work for free. Like that's not how this works. So just, but, you know, find the right people and reach out to them. So like with these, you know, the, don't worry about that part, but uh, you definitely yeah, whatever you're in, like, I, I think you'd be hard pressed to think of a profession that doesn't ham, have some sort of translative effect in what we're calling the, the space economy, which is just sort of an extension yes, I of agree, our normal yeah. economy. You know, like anything that involves right. any aspect of living and a lot of surprising ones. So 
if you want to get into space, just just do it. Start looking. NASA has a website for the there's the kind of the SBIR program. You know that people can. There's a lot of ways in. They're not easy, <laughs> you know. But yeah, yeah I remember a couple of years ago, NASA put out um, a sound clip, and it was, if I remember correctly, it was um, sound that was picked up from um, ge- geological quakes on Mars. Were, were you were you associated with that with that program? With getting that audio um, clip uh, sampled. Was that probably from Insight rover, the lander, maybe? That was from Insight. Yes, correct. Yeah. So, uh, no, I wasn't. And, um, stuff like that is kind of why I really wanted to get an actual microphone on to Mars because NASA has, and they just did this again recently. They they do this all the time, which I, I get because it's for public outreach and it gets people excited, but there's a lot of times when, uh, people will take data and do what's called sonification, right? And they'll sort of apply, uh, an audio, you know, they'll take data and recontextualize it in an audio realm, but it's, it's just sort of random, yeah. you know, and, and it's not audio <laughs> it's, and it's very frustrating well, for me because yes. I'm like, that's not sound, but I get it. It gets people engaged, you know, whereas the, the, the audio that's being recorded now with this mic, you know, and is like, that's actual sound on the surface. And, and I think that alone is exciting enough. You don't need to make it more exciting with definitely, you know, flowery language and the sound of black holes, you know, and like, oh, come on. Um, so, so Jason, what, when yeah. it comes to Mars and, uh, ob- obviously photographs and, 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 you know, video recordings are obvious, the value, the intrigue and all of that, but t- what would audio on Mars be? Uh, what, can you give us an example of what kind of audio recording will be ca- captured? On Mars. Yeah, I mean the the long the long ball in my mind is when we have people walking around on the surface and they they can have an acoustic component to their to their EVA suits. So you're walking around, you can hear your footsteps, you can hear your tools, you can hear the atmosphere. You know, you, you'll, it'll be one of your only because the, the the audio can be done in such a way where it pretty much would sound the exact same as if you're you know. If you're sticking your head out the window, which we don't, I, I wouldn't recommend. But uh, it, you know, it'd be sort of like if you were pumping the smells of Mars into your suit. You know, like why would that be valuable? You know. Oh yeah, yeah. I think I think you're correct that um, having that additional sense will help the astronauts sort of feel um, have a more natural feeling uh, when they're when they're doing the exploration on the surface. But you know, what's interesting about um, about that point that you bring up is that. The, the technology that um, you were able to successfully um, help put onto the Perseverance rover, it's not just providing value in the samples that it's picking up today, but rather it's it's also helping mature um, um, sound and audio technology on another planet. And so, like you're saying, it will be the, the foundation for um, some additional equipment and, and uh, maybe audio processing down the road. Um, so obviously it's, uh, you know, that's super exciting. That's something that started, uh, as a, as a dream and it's now, um, going to mature as a technology and be used, um, a lot down the road. Super cool. Yeah. I, I mean, it's, you know, like as far as maturing tech, so I, I don't know if you, if I got this through, but this, this mic I'm using right now, this is, um, a flight analog of the mic that flew on. Maybe you can see that on, on perseverance, um, which nice. Is, very nice. Ended up here. It's even got the little brass mounting plate that they customized for the thing. But this this looks small, but this is huge for something that has to travel to another planet, you know, with the mass. And so we know this technology works. Um, and one of, one of the proposals that I'm working on now is either trying to shrink this down to something a lot smaller, more manageable with the same technology, which is proven, or try and get a new uh, type of microphone to fly to Mars to test and, or at least get funded to test on earth and, you know, see if we can get it flight validated, you know, it'd be something much, much smaller that maybe it would sound 90% as good as this, but it's still pretty damn good, you know? Um, and one thing that anybody getting into space needs to know is that, um, basically mass is money, <laughs> you know, 
uh, small is good. Well, the the sound check uh, checks out here. It sounds pretty good that microphone here on this recording. Yeah, this is so. This is a great mic. When, this is uh, do you, good for studio applications. So do you have audio? Do you have audio yet recorded, or when do you expect the first audio recording from that microphone? Or is that already has that already taken place? Yeah. So what we've been doing is. Um, there's there's a lot of recordings. Uh, I think there's a six. I think it's a six month window within which uh, all audio data becomes publicly available through various really hard to find websites. Um, and then NASA will take short clips of that and post it on the NASA website. But they, again, I no disrespect to NASA, but they do a pretty terrible job of the audio. And there's there's some external noise surrounding this microphone, and so. The easy solution is just roll all the high end, all the treble frequencies down, so you get a very muffled sound. Um, the better solution is to use some audio, uh, some software that's specifically designed for like high end audio engineering um, and sort of surgically extracts sounds without affecting stuff in the background. So uh, I have a friend of mine who's uh, a mastering engineer for audio and um, I, he has one of these programs uh, in which you know, it's called Isotope, and it's a really powerful audio uh, tool. And so what we do is we take all those recordings, you know, on this uh, <laughs> hard-to-find website, which, again, it, it is public. It's just, you know, and um, we download them, we clean them up, and then we re-release them on uh, our own SoundCloud page, which if you go to jasonachilles.com, uh, I think in the, somewhere in the top, somewhere in there there's a button on the top, that says sounds of Mars and you can hear all of them, all of the mics, all the sounds nice. that are recorded with this mic are up there. They're cleaned up and they're also annotated and they, we publish the links to where you can find the originals and everything's, you can download them. Everything's fully transparent and available. So have we, have cool. we mixed yeah. any, anything together to create like a, a an otherworldly uh, uh, ambient uh, soundtrack so I can listen to while, while I'm at work? Um, Nothing that sounds good. Um, you can listen to the rover driving for 16 <laughs> minutes, and it sounds like nails on a chalkboard. I mean, it's horrible, nice. but it goes for a while. Uh, the most recent really cool thing we published, um, which actually was something we had to engineer, was there was a simultaneous recording made with the two different microphone systems of a uh, an abrasion, a rock abrasion, I think it was. and um, Or no, I'm sorry, it was a Libs firing sequence. So for the... Again, folks watching that don't know that Perseverance has a small laser on top of one of the instruments that shoots at rocks from a distance. Mm -hmm. And one of the things, it, it's a real quick snap. They fire 30 short blasts in 42-second increments or something like that, five times. And, uh, to get at the samples underneath. Yeah, well, you're, the idea is that you're, you're basically burning off dust on the surface of these rocks and then trying to, like, you know, see what's underneath. But you... you it's a quick pop and you, you get a, you get a pop sound from the, you know, from the laser blast. And so both microphones could, were able to hear this. And so with the telemetry data that was provided and we, we were able to take those mics, pan one left, one right and, and produce a stereo sound. Um, and it's a, and it's very 30, cool. 30 seconds of rapid fire or 30, 30 firings in about an 11 second grouping, which, is a regular, you know, I mean, you could, you could sort of use that as a metronome for something, I guess, if you really wanted to. Um, nice. Well, I, I mean, I foresee, I foresee yeah. a new genre of uh, techno music that's made only with uh, sound recordings from other planets. So I think that's coming down the pipe. It's yeah. The, I mean, again, get, the, the uh, problem is there's just a really limited window of places and things we can record, you know, when you're on Mars, like, what do you hear on Mars? Well, you hear yourself on Mars. That's about it. <laughs> so, you know. Yeah, maybe a little bit of the wind, you know, if you're lucky. Well, yeah, exactly. Is, yeah. I guess this is going Go ahead, to, maybe going too te technical, but uh, Mars has, you know, atmosphere, whereas the moon does not. So there's a vacuum on the moon, but uh, there is some reverberation, you would imagine, on Mars. So there's a lot of more sound. Once we're there with the rover driving or, or drilling or knocking, we would be able to catch those because the atmosphere reverberates, right? 
Well, you need some to for the reverberance to bounce off of. And if you were like in a, you know, if you're like maybe in a little gully, a little can, you know, sometimes like you, there's some cool drive sequences where you're right next to a rock wall or something like that. You might get an echo reflection off of that. Um, one thing about Mars that is tricky, though, you know, the sound recordings that we publish sound really good. But one thing to keep, you know, and they're very clear, there's a lot of higher frequencies than people expect. But one thing to keep in mind is we're very close to what we're listening to. So any reverberance requires sound traveling quite a distance and then that back again. Um, and sound audio on Mars, the, the, the upper frequencies dissipate quickly over distance uh, as opposed to Earth. So for, for sound to travel okay. far enough to go and bounce back to you a far enough distance where there's enough delay where you can actually hear the reverberance, probably chances are that sound is vaporized in the atmosphere already or anything you're getting are just the super low frequencies. And so I wouldn't really expect much of a reverberant sound on the surface. Um, yeah. <laughs> Unless it was really loud, well, you know? So Jason, you, you, you told us about yeah. your, your entry into it with the sound audio, uh, project. Um, <laughs> What what came next after that? Like, because I, I I know that you did you were involved in some other stuff in, in in the video project. What how how did that evolve from sound recording to video? Yeah, so you know we were talking about how do you get into this industry? If you get in in a more stable fashion, you probably don't need to worry about the problem I had. But because I sort of kind of snuck in through a trap door. Um, I also snuck into a situation where I knew it was going to be temporary, um, which was that I was, you know, I was given a contract that I, at the longest, would end the day Perseverance landed, you know. And most of the work we did was four years before that, like early 2017 and mid-2017. Beyond that, it was kind of not much of anything to the point where I'd occasionally be like, am I still, <laughs> you know, working with you guys? What's up? And, um, so through that period of time though, what I realized is that, you know, being on tour while I had, you know, this work and space re research going on was like just the, the coolest, you know, I, it was awesome. I didn't want it to end. Yeah, definitely. But I knew it was going to end. So I started thinking of like, okay, now they got maybe a, a, a if not a foot, a toe in the door. You know, so I had this other idea, which was um, which was a spinoff from the microphone, which was the idea that you could actually take a camera and eject it from a rocket as you're landing on a, um, you know, foreign, you know, moon, Mars, whatever, with the idea of we want to see this landing as if we're already on the surface, but there's nobody there yet. And it's going to be a long time before there's anybody there yet. So how do we get a camera there ahead of time? And uh, sort of, you know, like the idea of throwing a sandbag off of a hot air balloon or something, you know, is just kind of similar. Like, well, can we just put a camera in there somehow? And um, so that was an idea that... It's a really cool threw, idea. Ah, it is a really cool idea. It's really well, great. so how it came to reality was really like one of the main guys that helped me with that was a guy I met in a bar playing... Um, in Pasadena, you know, I, I got involved with, there was a space lecture series that Caltech puts on there called Astronomy on Tap. And I, this is kind of to, to, again, to the point of this whole thing, how do you get involved? I just started going to this thing and would walk up to random people and be like, hey, uh, what what's going on? <laughs> what, what do you know about this thing? And you just start talking to people. And uh, through that, I ended up meeting, meeting the people who ran it and then convincing them they, I was like, well, you guys probably should, have somebody playing music during these breaks here. And they're like, yeah, maybe you should. So uh, one, one of the times I'd, I'd played there and um, afterwards I, you know, I stuck around to watch the lecture. There was one seat available at the bar and uh, the guy I sat next to happened to have been doing camera work at, you know, in, in the space industry for decades. And he was really friendly and he helped me, get my first sort of speaking position to share this idea with the community, um, which I did while I was on tour with my band. So again, like 
you know, nice. just kind of have to like, who knows? But the idea, it's called exocam from the Greek word exo out camera. Um, Got to work the Greek in there. Uh, and so the <laughs> idea is you have a camera that's attached to a rocket. And as it's descending onto the surface of Mars, the moon, whatever, uh, when you get close to the surface, this camera ejects. And um, we actually have the video to this is now finally also linked through the website. If anybody wants to see, there's a thing that says rocket videos or something. And uh, this will take you to this we'll, link and you we'll can put see it on this. Yeah. And, and basically, so we were able to get funded for this project to do a, a terrestrial test flight where we basically took a, three, a, a GoPro, put it inside a protective basketball sized, sized housing, flew it on a rocket about 80 feet in the air and then kicked it off while the rocket landed. And uh, so we're in the middle of this dust plume that's getting ejected from the, you know, the, the uh, thrust of the rocket as it's landing. And it's awesome. You can see the video. I mean, it's, if you see the video, it makes perfect sense. It looks really cool. And you just say, okay, imagine this on the moon or wherever, you know, we have a camera that is outside of the rocket, staring yeah. at the rocket landing. So you get an outside vantage point of a video recording off the rocket landing, wherever it is, Mars, Moon, etc. That's pretty cool. That you're you're going to now be my publicist. That was much better, easy explanation. <laughs> um, yeah, well, that's the idea. And well, when, so we had some, you know. NASA does not uh, periodically fund cameras for the sake of cameras, but we were uh, able to, again, with the help of a lot of thoughtful folks, um, come up with an ancillary scientific benefit to this that is actually quite helpful. And that's the funding that we received for a grant to do this test flight, which was the grant was a little over half a million dollars. Um, Most of that went to the rocket company. to do the flight. Um, and, uh, turns out this stuff is expensive. Um, but they were really interested in this because yeah. this could help them understand, um, you know, how dust migrates on the surface of the moon or Mars during a landing sequence. And that can then help you decide, okay, how close can you land a rocket to a, a base that you've already built without it sandblasting the hell out of your, you know, so these are mm-hmm. this, this your, actually, your solar panels and all your, your other instruments. Yeah. So, you know, you might have yeah, when, an idea when, that, like, I just want pretty pictures of rockets landing, but that ends up translating into something that's ends up filling a, a knowledge gap that's actually pretty scientifically important. So if you can find, be lucky enough to find one of these ideas, you might be able to get funding for it. Yeah, definitely. One one point that comes to mind, um, you know, as you're talking about creating this concept and, and working through it, is that the engineers that are working on some of these space programs, they don't have expertise in all of the fields that are that are needed to sort of be successful out there in, in space exploration as a as a human race, right? And so, you know, the 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 thought is that the, the engineers working on these programs, they're very experienced and you know, have deep technical knowledge, but that doesn't mean that there's gaps in knowledge and that, that um, you know, I'm thinking specifically, you know, how we were able to apply some of these expertise and experience in a, a field that was essentially totally unrelated um, to bring some of those benefits. And so, you know, again, the, the engineers that are working on space programs, they are not um, sort of uh, knowledgeable on every field that's out there. And so we need those types of inputs from folks that are um, outside of the space exploration traditional um, career path, let's say, so that we can, um, you know, be competent and have some of these good good products in space. Uh, it's a it's an absolute necessity. I think that's an excellent point, and and uh, I don't know a good example. I one of my buddies is he's a welder, you know, amongst other things. He doesn't know anything about rocket vec, you know, thrust vectors or you know gravitational constants and, you know, and orbital dynamics, but he knows how to weld really damn mm-hmm. good. And he was for a while doing, he had a job doing welding for aerospace components. Like they, yeah, I think, and you know, That's anybody's awesome. building rockets needs really good welders. You don't need to know how to go to space. You just need to know how to weld really well. Uh, so, exactly. Exactly. 
But if you want to be involved so, in so doing one of the, cool space stuff, you can do it, you know? Go ahead. Yeah, one of the thoughts that, uh, you know, as, as we talk about this, uh, you know, in today's episode and some other um, episodes that we've done, you know, previously, the and I think Ferris sort of alluded to this, you, you had a specific title that was um, your job and, and you helped make things for space more and more. Um, we are just going to have specialists in different fields. And instead of changing their field of work to the space environment, you are just contributing to um, the economy and the work that's going on uh, for space applications. And so, you know, I think this is really something that's come about because we've continued to sort of mature the space industry. Um, and before it was, you know, sort of this niche thing that we were doing as a country, right, for a set of specific purposes. But now it's it's um, through NASA's efforts and, and some of the other partners, it just continues to get opened up. And so, um, again, you know, it's an invitation for anybody that's passionate about space things to, to start thinking about um, how they can contribute um, to the space industry. One of the, I think it's important also to, to mention that this concept is applicable not only to individual skill sets, but also to technologies um, or tooling. Uh, for example, you know, Jason, you're talking about the ExoCam utilizing a GoPro, right? Um, that's, you know, essentially repurposing the the technologies that we're already utilizing on on planet and figuring out how to make those work in a zero gravity environment you know um and i think that like if you start to think about um how you could be involved in the space economy um in those terms it really opens up a, a much wider um you know possibilities or many more possibilities in terms of how you can get involved. I was going to say, you know, one of the criticisms, Jason, that we sort of come across often is that when these problems get solved for the space environment, that they're sort of limited in their use. And, you know, because we work in the space industry, we know um, that there's crossover from that technology back to, um, you know, planet-based applications. But I wanted to ask you, um, you know, have you encountered, have you seen some ways that the work that you've done, um, you know, on some of these programs sort of makes its way back uh, and helps improve technologies that we use um, here on the planet? Um, I've uh, to answer this. I've been approached for some possible military question. applications. <laughs> I've been approached for some possible military applications of an ejectable camera thing, which I've per, like so far kind of steered away from. Um, but there's certainly a lot of applications. Um, it's not personally something I want to contribute to if I can help it. <laughs> um, but yeah. yes, there are One of the, the idea of remotely uh, ejecting cameras into hard to get to places is most certainly um you know, uh, something people are, are interested in, um, you know. Yeah. One of the, one of the really, um, um common examples that we use are, uh, uh, space blankets and the GPS navigation system. You know, these were things that were developed, uh, for really specific applications. And now it's almost like, you know, they form an intricate part of, um, you know, space blankets for search and rescue and GPS. Well, everybody uses that. So, um, you know, there's, there's, uh, there's a lot of, there's a lot of motivation to work on some of these technologies, not just, uh, for their applications in, in space exploration. Uh, what, what I wanted to say that there, there's so much that needs to be figured out. And I, I loved your story about how the, how the ejected camera is all of a sudden applicable and valuable to determine how far dust travels. And, and um, to protect, you know, solar panels and equipment and everything, how far the rocket needs to land. You also said it about, you know, using audio to uh, figure out how astronauts on the surface of Mars can hear what they're doing using tools and so forth. So, so what that leads me to thinking is that every little granular detail is yet to be figured out. This this is so specific, and there are thousands and millions of little specific things like that that need to be figured out. And 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 as Bill Nelson has 
stated for the future sort of purpose of NASA is a private-public partnership. And, and uh, I see the future coming with much more private input into the space economy, space exploration, and missions with these little granular little technology solutions like you have been working on. And I, I, I go back to this, you know, element of the camera that you developed that um, every little granular detail needs to be figured out, and it hasn't yet. And that's the opportunity for welders, food producers, you know, and, and, and you know, medical health and, and so forth. It's, it's a wide open field of opportunity that the space economy, in my view, offers everybody at this point. And I think, I think the important thing for somebody who's like a newcomer to this or isn't doing this but really wants to is don't be intimidated by the fact that you don't Definitely. know the rocket equation or some crap. You know, like, you know, let, you know, yeah. yep. I think, you know, let's say, yeah, let's go back to the, the culinary example for you because that's one that probably doesn't, you know, like let okay, so you're you're really good at just being creative with food, and you love space. You just love space, but you're like, wow, how does this connect? Um, and you know, there's so like we said, there's okay, there's a lot of there's there's going to be have to have to be a lot of advancements made in the culinary world for people to like travel long times and long distances and not want to throw their heads at it in the airlock, but the trick to that, I think, and, and is that you don't need to know, you know, again, you don't have to know orbital mechanics. To, you just need to be given the parameters, just like any other, like if you're going to prepare a meal for the White House, all right, or versus a soup kitchen, right? There's different parameters uh, that you need to, like, how perishable does this need to be? If it's the White House, okay, there's a lot of details in this food, but it doesn't need to be perishable because everyone's going to eat it within 10 minutes. You know, if you're making food for, you know, um, the military, okay, totally <laughs> different parameters. It's got to last forever. It needs to have more thermal tolerance. But none of that, you don't need to know how to fire an AK-47 to be able to de design food for your the military to eat. And similarly, you, you know, you don't have to know how to anything about how rockets work to design food for people that are flying to Mars. You just need to be given the parameters that you need to fit within, um, you know, with perishability, consistency, in, nutrition. In fact, I, I would know. argue, yeah, I would argue that you don't even have to be the best in the field of what you're doing. You need to have the willingness and the passion to to seek out, you know, that space exploration uh, avenue. And so, um, you know, that that just speaks of opportunity. And I was going to say, I just want to know how to get the fries extra crispy. Uh, in space because we haven't figured that one out yet it, it, it might have something to do with putting them in the airlock for a bit get that freeze-dried thing going on that might be the secret ingredient <laughs> yeah you might you might never get rid of the fried uh, smell in the uh in the in the space station if you fire up the oh, uh, right fire. like you kind of wonder like nobody what, what, what is, is, what is, is there's this in space you know on the space station like that like <laughs> this happens, you know, like, I, I'm sure it's, there's, I'm sure, I'm sure it's been talked about. I'm sure it's been talked about, but what, what is the smell of space? Maybe Wasn't it like a toast or something? Yeah. Something space, like that. There's, I saw something. Oh, this was, there. um, actually, actually, this is really interesting. Yeah. Coca-Cola put out a product, uh, called, I think it was called Stardust or something like that. I don't <laughs> fringing on anything here, but the, the, the pitch was that they, they queried, the the as astronauts what space tasted like and being inside of the the um the environment that they were in and i you know naturally was really curious and i went out and got it and and a lot of the feedback that i had heard previously and from astronauts is that taste space a little bit like burnt steak and so when i tried this coca-cola product what what came to mind immediately was some of the smells and tastes when you're um out doing um rocket testing and so what came to mind is that they were actually smelling some components of the hypergolic fuel or the, the different elements <laughs> when, you know, when you're in a tight space with all these systems, it kind of, it kind of tasted a little bit like, you know, the taste and smell of fuel. And so that was really interesting for me to uh, get a taste of that and think about that. It makes you more worried hey, about hey, reverse Miguel, engineering what the hell is actually in Coca-Cola. <laughs> 
Mm. <laughs> well, uh, Miguel, you had earlier said uh, what what has been developed for space that is now used on Earth, and and in context of food, astronaut ice cream, right? That has definitely come back to Earth to become popular. Uh, those little granular little yeah, unfortunately that are that are yeah, really yeah yeah freeze dried uh, stuff. They they needed to figure out how to take all the water out of everything. Yeah. But but uh um, talking about dipping dots? Yeah, dipping no is it called dipping no, dots? Not dip is that dot. what it is? Oh okay. Dipping dots yeah, is one of them. There's astronaut really? ice cream. Literally yeah. astronaut ice cream. And that's what yeah. it was developed for. I had no idea. Yeah. Um, that's wild. If it well now I'm gonna go to movies a little bit because they sometimes inspire real life, uh, but they come first. Um uh, we we are fond of talking about Star Trek and the smartphone. In that context, but uh, on the movie, uh, in the movie Passengers, she had a different class pass, so she got eggs and bacon and all kinds of good stuff, whereas he only got uh, the male character only got like oatmeal mush, whatever it was. And and now I'm going to take you to the Alien movies. All they ate was oatmeal mush. That was all that came out of the machine, but. If we go back to Star Trek, they had this smoothie machine that could produce just about anything. It was always a smoothie, but it was green and it. orange and, and uh, yellow and whatnot. They had all kinds of flavors, right? But that was space food. So, so um, it's fun to think about this because the, the first thing to do is to imagine. And after that comes, you know, exploration and, and innovation. And I think this is a, yeah. you know, the culinary aspect is a wide open field yet to be explored when it comes to space. Yeah, food. the concept yeah. there, Jason, is that there's some kind of feedback loop where the real exploration inspires the movies, which then in turn inspire um, some of the next generation exploration. Go ahead. Yeah, no, I, I you know, people like I say, well, what's the, you know, what's the point of all this? And what's the, you know, like, we, if we weren't... A, you know, curious people, we wouldn't be here to begin with, you know, and, and for the first time now, we actually have a chance to colonize a place without doing a bunch of horrible shit to, you know, an indigenous population and everything amazing that comes from that, mm -hmm. um, including hopefully, you know, some new food choices. Hold on, we, still have a, well, we still have a chance to do that if we find some microbes. That, and, yeah, we, we, <laughs> we're not completely sure on that yet. We'll, clear. Time well, will tell. I think, you know, I'm, I'm less worried about microbes, Don't you know. That's just me. Yeah, that's <laughs> Cook good. It's a pragmatic approach. Well, I'm not, I'm not talking <laughs> about microbes, but you know. Oh, you're talking about the little green men. <laughs> that would be fantastic. That would help. That, yeah, I don't know. I'd give you a whole whole new I don't set know of problems. But <laughs> all right, what, one of the things I wanted to pick your brain on is, um, you know, obviously the, our target audience here is, um, is is folks that are not in the industry. Um, from your um, time, you know, spent working on some of these projects and just being a, a, a space enthusiast in general, um, what are some of the gaps that you see? What are some of the needs that you see that um, still need to be filled um, in order uh, for us to really, um, you know, have a sustainable future out there? We talked, you mentioned uh, in passing uh, hibernation. I think that's uh, coming down the pipeline. It's going to take a little bit of time to sort out. But um, do you see any other sort of gaps um, that need to be filled in order to make uh, astronauts experience better, um, um, us able to be out there and do more exciting things. Um, any thoughts on that? Well, the, the gaps that I see are much more like what, you know, Carl Sagan talked about this, you know, where you like, you go up to kids and talk about space and everybody's super excited. And then you go to high school kids and like, half of the enthusiasm is just completely gone. And you're like, what, what the hell happened? You know, why is our school system uninspiring people? You know, um, I think our future mm -hmm. space economy is entirely dependent on getting kids excited about it now to grow up, to be excited. Um, and that's one of the things I do. I, you know, I go like, especially during pandemic, I did a lot of, you know, online, online discussions with kids, in different schools, like, and basically anybody that was interested, you know, um, and, you know, if you can get like that, pretty much, you know, I don't know if I mentioned this, that, that 
when the talk, when you guys, when I met you guys, but uh, like almost everybody I haven't met that, that has had a career in space where they really figured it out pretty early on remembers when they got inspired. And it was almost always between like five, six years old. And they like, it, usually it's a very specific memory. Um, yeah. And uh, you know, if as many, if you can plant that in as many kids as possible, all around the world, you know, especially now um, it, it's, you know, if, if it's somebody in a more modern productive society, that's already doing well, great. They can, you know, they can do it, but even better if it's somebody in a really like, who's grown up in a pretty terrible environment, you know, and you got, you know, bright kids show up everywhere not just, you know, where it's privileged folks, you know, and yeah, uh, yeah it, definitely. It, and what, what I think I heard from you, Sorry, what I think I heard from you is that one of the biggest needs that we still have is figuring out how to inspire the next generation of uh, explorers and, and contributors. And, and what better way to sort of promote that inspiration than through excellent audio and video content from um, where the action is happening? Well, you know, honestly, what I the, the yeah, path that absolutely. I use is less about the work I did and more about the idea of how how music got me into it because music is something that is every kid understands, you know, whether they do it themselves or they love it. It's, it's music's not inaccessible at all, really, to, especially to kids. They, everybody, almost everybody, if you meet somebody who doesn't love music, it's like, there's something wrong, you know? And, uh, and so I, I use, I, I use that as a bridge to say like, okay, you know, I came from that world, which makes sense to you. And I'm doing this stuff, which maybe doesn't make sense to you, but I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm right where you were. So don't feel like you can't do this stuff that that's, that's where I use, you know, that that's where I use audio and the music, the sounds of Mars. It's, it's less about like, what do you get from the sounds of Mars? And it's more about, Hey, the guy that helped do this, did it because he was a music guy, not because he was a space guy. And there's no reason you can't do that. Like whatever you love, like we said, I don't know, maybe you love cooking. Maybe you love building little houses with matchsticks, you know, or whatever, like. Definitely. Definitely. Go, go do it in space. Yeah, and Hell I mean, yeah. if yeah. the, the media and education aspect is, it is really important. And I think that, um, when the Apollo missions and shortly thereafter were, were launching. I think the education and media across this country was very inspirational towards space, what it could become, what it was. And we, we seem to kind of lost that inspiration over a period of time. And I think now we're, we're amidst another, um, kind of renaissance of space curiosity and, um, you know, I have some friends that are, are teachers in school, in elementary schools, and they love uh, what is happening. They love talking about it. They, you know, we could sit and talk about space technology and what's going on for, for hours. And, you know, I know that they instill that their own passion into some of the uh, curriculum and some of the history and some of the the. Um, spare time that they have available with kids. And I think that it's important in any aspect that you're in, if you want to get involved in space, like we've been saying here, um, you can get involved where you're at, uh, or you can lean into like you did, Jason, uh, finding an actual in to develop something and to be a part of something physically. But um, there's a whole generation that, needs to be inspired by something and space is certainly a great category to, to lean into. Yeah. I think, you know, uh, maybe to give a little more, more of a pragmatic answer to your, to, I think it was Miguel's question, right. About like, what's, what's the, what's the gaps that you see? Um, and, and to, to what you were just saying, uh, in a, in a more sort of, okay, you know, within, within the next 10 years, you know, not looking to like inspire folks that 15, 20 years from now are going to like be mm -hmm. doing some cool stuff, but like in the interim, what can you do? You can, you know, having leadership that's inspiring for the, you know, it, um, like 
like Brian, Jim Brian our previous administrator was awesome. Like in, in that respect, he was, yeah. he, always, he, he was, he, you know, he had a very youthful demeanor about himself. He was just super excited all the time. You know, sometimes he, I mean, everybody makes missteps and, you know, um, but, uh, he no, was I a think, big believer. I think Jim did public. a great thing for, for the organization. Yeah. You know, he was a big believer in the public outreach. Um, there was even a, he even had a speech he was supposed to give that got canceled for some reason that was called the camera is the mission, you know, which I was like, I love this guy, <laughs> you know, he's, um, but like, there's no, you know, I'm sitting here personally reaching out to schools and teachers and friends, you know, I don't even work for NASA. Like, I really think like, it would be great to see our tax dollars going directly from NASA to send, you know, people to schools. Like, you know, it's, it's sometimes you think you're doing good outreach because you're putting up YouTube videos and you're putting up exciting stuff. And that's definitely like, like JPL is getting a lot better about that, but you really got to like reach. I think you really need to reach into like, if you want to reach kids, you got to like, you got to send somebody to go talk to them, you know, or, or send, give them a capability. Yeah, like, definitely. Right, you know, if you're in, if you're in an area, like, where you can get a tour of some facility that does cool stuff, you know, send a, you know, have a program that will pay for the school bus to go pick up the kids, take them to the thing. Somebody there gives them a walkthrough who's, you know, <laughs> doesn't hate their job. <laughs> so it actually looks fun. This stuff really, yeah. really matters. And like one special moment in day like that can alter the course of some kid's career forever. And that's where your future scientists are. Yeah, definitely. Um, I don't know. It's that's I, I, I you know, that's whatever. That's no, what that's good. That's good. I mean, I think, uh, you know, the the listeners will be, you know, looking for for any hints at opportunities. And I mean, you know, some of these some sometimes these ideas come from our own mind, but sometimes it's, you know, a good idea that we hear about um, that, that still needs developing. And that's where we can uh, sort of get our get started. You know, you just gave me an idea, actually, because I have a friend of mine who has a website that he built, he works with the aerospace corporation. He was part of that panel actually. And he put together a page with all the resources, like, okay, if you've got an idea, here's all the different ways you can pitch that to NASA, you know, um, again, so the whole point of this conversation, right. And it was a big list of all the solicitations that come available, but the web address he posted is impossible to find. And I was yelling him about this, you know, endlessly, um, like, dude, it just needs a good, you know, URL. So maybe, I don't know, maybe I should just put that as a link on my website. <laughs> like I, it just says, so you've got an idea and it's a button and it's that easy. Like you want to work in space, click here. And then it's just, boom, here's 20 different ways of possibly, possibly getting some random idea you've got, you know, into a, a pathway that might fund it or, you know, I don't know. You can, doesn't matter if mm -hmm. you're, you know, I've got, I, I've become Facebook friends with this one kid who lives in Nepal. He's never been out of Nepal, but he's like, oh, I love space. It's so cool. And like, he was in high school when he reached out. I think he's probably, you know, it's probably like early college now. And we just stay in touch. And I'm like, yeah, man, you know, just it's literally on the other side of the world in some yeah. tiny little, like, <laughs> he's in a small, you know, he's, and, and he's into it, you know, and then. There's no reason the world is, it's still a big place, which is nice, but the connections can be easy. Yeah, def definitely. And, and I think that's one of the things that, that Jim Bridenstine, uh, the previous NASA administrator, w was doing well is, is previously, like you said, JPL internship or something like that would be the only place that you could get exposure to um, some space industry um, um, content, let's say. Um, but now, you know, that NASA encouraging the private industry to sort of um, be the leaders um, in what's going on. I think now there's even more opportunities, um, you know, with things like startups and, and different uh, smaller companies that um, that are that are creating the space economy. And so, you know, I, I just wanted to um, one one final point um, with regards to the need for inspiration. You know, I think one of the things that um, brings us together, you know, people that work in the space industry, is that space exploration is is bigger than all of us, right? It's bigger than any one single person. And so, you know, in a society today that encourages us to be all about ourselves and uh, individualism, 
it's almost refreshing to be able to be a part of something that's that's bigger than ourselves, you know. So, um, yeah, it's definitely a, a place where we want to encourage uh, young people to look to um, to be able to sort of sort of make something uh, make something great happen. Um, yeah, and there's a place for both. Thanks. If you if you're a, a you know if you want to be part of a big team, there's places for that. If you're more of an individualist and you are, you know, there's places for that. There's, there's, you know, nice thing is to hopefully not be a jerk. Um, sometimes you have to be hard headed to not like, you know, lose, you know, especially if you're trying to run your yeah, own. One of the requirements is, is you can't you know. take no for an answer. No, isn't an answer. That's just, it's just not an answer. That's just <laughs> how you gotta look at it. The answer is yes. A deflection. Or, yeah, exactly. Or keep going till you, yeah. The only answer you want is yes. No is, I mean, yeah, whatever. Uh, go get them. Awesome, Jason. Thank you so much for joining us today. Um, it's been a really thought-provoking discussion. Um, really cool to see how you've, you know, found a way to insert yourself into, you know, the space industry with um, just your real-world passions. Um, and... Um, before we before we sign off, just to remind everyone, uh, if they want to find out more information about what you've been working on, uh, it's jasonachilles.com, correct? Yeah, that's right. Perfect. Yeah, and we'll put that that um, URL in the description again for anyone who wants to check out Jason's work in more detail. Um, sounds like there's some really cool, um, really cool media on available on your on your website so i'll definitely be checking that out myself yeah the uh, the websites well. well it's it's it was originally designed to be my music website and i recently uh, incorporated i'd done a radio show recently um uh and i at the end they're like all right what links can you give out and i was trying like it was all this random stuff that like how do i get people that like the mars sounds was like this impossibly long thing so i'm like all right so I just, since then, in the last few weeks, I redesigned the website. So it's the music I do is on there. The space stuff I do is on there. We, we I've got a group of friends. We're out now recording uh, rocket launches at Vandenberg Space Force Base. There's, you can see those on there. Like, nice. It's all just kind of in one place. I'm just trying to keep it. Like The trick is to get a lot of info in a like well-organized, not messy-looking way. So, um, But, yeah, I think it's all up there. Absolutely. Yeah, it's fun stuff. Cool. Right? Thank you, thank you, thank you so much for joining us, and we look forward to um, your your upcoming contributions uh, to the space industry and space exploration. Oh, thank you guys for having me. Thank you, everyone, for tuning into the Explorers Podcast, brought to you by X Labs. X Labs is pioneering resource exploration and management by developing capabilities that enable the acquisition and access to rare and valuable resources. Utilizing these new super heavy lift rockets, X Labs is developing the next generation of space vehicles for exploration designed to capture asteroid resources. Our vehicles will go deep into space and carry out missions and some of the first ever private enterprise accomplishments in space exploration. Be sure to subscribe to wherever you are listening to this podcast. And for more information on X-Labs, head over to our website at www.xlabs.space to stay updated on missions, ask questions to members of the company, or to learn more about how you can be a part of X-Labs.